Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to Watching the Tutors. I'm Heather. I'm Jonathan. And this is the show where we watch the tutors and break down all the history and the real truth behind the drama. So if you don't know me, I've been po- podcast. I almost said podcasting, podcasting for almost 12 years on Tudor England with the Renaissance English History Podcast. And I'm and- Jonathan, and I've been married to her for like 15 years this year. I know. Yeah. So I've been podcasting on Tudor England almost as long as I've been married to you. Yeah. And I've been around someone who's been interested in Tudor history for that long and still haven't picked up um, very much of it. Right. So that's the point of the show. We watch the show. You ask me what was true, what wasn't true, because you don't know anything about this. Nope. Nope. Um, okay. So if you do want to dive deeper into Tudor history behind, beyond the TV show, you can go to englandcast.com. Or you can subscribe to the Renaissance English History Podcast wherever you are listening to this show. And one other thing I want to say quickly, because I talk about it on my other show, but I've never talked about it here, which is TudorCon, which we do now. The next one's going to be October 2021. Yep. It's three days of talks by some leading Tudor bloggers and experts, um, historians, and we and- do it at a winery next to the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair for three days, talks, the, lectures. And the idea is like in person. And, it's you know, all in person. We've kind of forgotten about that idea. But. Right. Yeah. 2021, we're going to be in person again. And it's um, a chance to hang out with other Tudor history lovers. And it's kind of a mix. We have parties, we have fun events, but also learning. So I wanted to kind of do a mix of like something between an academic conference and a Renaissance Fair. Because if you're like me, you remember we used to go to the Renaissance Fair and I would get so snotty about stuff. I'd be like, why are they wearing kilts? Like England and Scotland hated each other. There's no, and like, what are, who are these goth people? Like, this is re- so historically inaccurate. Right? It would drive me nuts. But I and also. it would drive me nuts how much it drove me. Right. But I also love the Renaissance Fair. So we have um, a party on Friday night with period entertainment and fun games, tutor games and stuff like that. You can come in costume. And then we have talks on Saturday and Sunday all day. We have entertainment on Saturday night. You can learn more. Oh, and the big thing why I'm saying this, oh, we have a feast on Sunday afternoon um, and with private entertainment, all that. And I only, I literally only have less than 15 tickets left. So I have 13. I might be able to add some more. I have to get permission from the fire marshal. But right now I only have 13 tickets left as of today. So it might, I might be able to open a few so more. So where can they find the tickets? They can find out more at englandcast.com slash TudorCon2021. E-N-G-L-A-N-D-C-A-S-T dot C-O-M. Englandcast.com slash TudorCon, T-U-D-O-R-C-O-N, 2021. Or you can Google TudorCon. I mean, you could do that too. Yeah. All so right. Should we get into so the So we are on season three, episode four, 
the one in which Jane dies. So we had to stop watching because you started crying. Yeah, and I'm not going to make it through um, this whole uh, episode with you either. Right, so I'll just talk a little bit about Jane's childbirth and what was kind of portrayed differently and things like that. Um, I'll talk about that. You're already starting to cry. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, okay. let's do it. Let's, let's, do, let's it. do it. Let's do it. All right. Oh, hit me. All right, first question. We got this model boat for a coronation. What's, what's the deal with the coronation? So, boat? well, okay. So Henry loved ships. Henry VIII, like, built the Tudor Navy. I think I've talked about this before. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but he inherited something like seven boats from his father. And even mm. his father had actually started to build up the Tudor Navy. He built the dry docks at Deptford. Um, and so Henry VIII then inherited this very small Navy. He built it up. He built these flagships like... Um, the Mary Rose, which was mm-hmm. lift, it was um, shot down, shot down. It was burned and, and sunk during uh, the French. Actually, did it during a battle off the Isle of Wight um, later on. And but the Mary Rose was found recently and brought up, and you can actually tour it. It's very cool. Um, and he built uh, a number of amazing flagships. So Henry was he was like a kid in a candy store when it came to like boats. It, yeah. There was a lot of I've done episodes on my other show about boats and the changing technology of boats at this time and ship. ships yes thank you boats and ships um and so anyway there were changes in like how the, the cannons were positioned in the mm-hmm. sides and and the the way the wood was put on anyway so henry really was into that he loved it it was like a kid in a candy store so he loved boats so the boson tour was actually um an italian type of ship it was called it was owned by the doges of venice and it was you know a ship that was like this every year they would take it out onto the adriatic sea to perform the marriage of the sea which symbolically wedded venice to the sea wow they did that every year up until 1798 Sounds so i don't know that henry actually ever had plans to do this for jane's coronation Mm -hmm. um but i think maybe this was just showing that at this point he would have probably been thinking about jane's coronation um and he loved boats so that's probably where that came from that's an it's it's a a chance to show some cool boats cool like yeah all right and then next we are on to reginald pole oh yes uh, we are i guess it was cromwell telling the king about him yes so he so was all that accurate? He was made a, a bishop, and uh, and he can he wrote was made a, a cardinal. Oh, a cardinal. Excuse yes. me. And then um, wrote a pamphlet. We talked about this last time because this okay. pamphlet was actually supposed to be just a letter to Henry, which uh, but then it got was out. made public. Yeah. And I don't know. There's like he probably put it out on purpose, mm-hmm. um, but it was in the form of a letter to Henry. Yeah. That got out. Yeah. Wow. And so he really called him a heretic. Oh yeah, he trip. went hard. Yeah. That's I. Yeah, that's that's that takes some something. It also took something because Henry paid for his education. Yeah, no, I know, I know. That's like, yeah. And extra. <laughs> Henry and all of his family was in England still, so they were like, he. It's easy to do this from the safety of Italy. Yeah. Like it takes absolutely nothing. Talk about like a wimp. Like come tell it to me to my face, yeah, right? Seriously. And so and like do it, do all that while your family and his family is going to suffer for it. We'll yeah. see. Um, Oops. and it. It was like really, really, I, I think like I have so little respect for him for that. Yeah. Like, be like, I don't know, like stand up. If you're going to say it, don't be a wimp and say it in a pamphlet sent from Italy yeah, from, from hundreds of miles while now. your family's there. At least if you're going to do that, get your family out first, you know, <laughs> like, sense. 
Yep. All right. Well, moving on to, to ask and poor Robert. Is poor Robert Ask. Robert yes. Ask. Yeah. And he was, he was actually executed in York. Isn't he it? was. And <clears throat> I think you were going to ask me how many he was, he was hung in chains like that, which yeah. was a, a common, uh, a common way to punish the rebellious leaders later on mm -hmm. under Edward the sixth, there was Ket's rebellion, which is a fascinating rebellion. I'm, I'm really sorry. This show only stops. Maybe we'll have, maybe there'll be a TV show about Edward's reign someday and we can talk about Ket's Rebellion. But the leader of Ket's Rebellion, Robert Ket, was also hanged in chains. Mm -hmm. it, it was a common way to hang leaders yeah. of rebellion like that. Fun. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting the, 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 the many uh, creative ways they have to kill people. Right? Yeah. You know, there's that museum in London. Um, the mm. There's like this torture museum that yeah. you can go to to yeah. see all the different... I remember walking past it. Yeah. Um, it was on that road where um, Jack the Ripper, I guess, was there. Maybe there's a bunch. I I think I know. I think it's on the other side in Southwark. I don't know. I don't know. By Waterloo Station or something. Yeah. I forget exactly. I'd have to look it up. All right. So and then Brandon, <clears throat> Charles yes. Brandon, did he have one? Wait, child? weren't you? Oh yeah, you were gonna ask me later. And yeah. yeah. So Charles Brandon actually he had a number of children. He was uh, quite active. He had children With, like different. Yeah. So the first thing was he had a child way early on with a woman and then he married, he divorced that woman and married her aunt, I think, because she was like an heiress. And then he took all of her money and um, I don't know, whatever. So there's a book um, that Tony Riches wrote mm -hmm. called Charles Brandon Tudor Knight. And I interviewed Tony Riches about Charles Brandon. And it's an interest. He's an interesting story and he can be um, quite um, what's the word for when you kind of like someone? He can be likable. Charm, charming? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Um, at, but any, and he had to have a certain level of charm to be able to survive mm -hmm. Henry for as long as he did. And also woo every woman Exactly. Sight, so he had a number of children, two of them, Henry and Charles. It was really sad. They died of the sweating sickness within hours of each other when they were older. Um, they were sent to, they were in college in Cambridge when they were older. And their mother wanted to protect them when they heard that the sweat was coming and she sent them away and it was a, the wrong mistake. They wound up, even though they were sent to this house out in the countryside, they wound up getting it and they each died within hours of each other. It was like tragic. Um, and then Catherine Willoughby is a really interesting person later on. She married for love to like some guy who was like 30 years younger than her. Mm -hmm. He was like, it worked in her stables and... Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's Catherine Willoughby. She's a really interesting person. But yes, Charles Brandon had lots of children. Nice, all over the place. Yep. And then had and then so Brandon was going off to sort of lead this uh, Italian or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And had he fought before? Does he have fighting? Yeah, he experience? had fought in France in the early wars that Henry VIII had against France. Like when... as a soldier, would he? Or yeah, maybe like no, he some was, sort of officer. Yeah, he was an officer okay. kind of person. He led. Uh, he was especially, I think, at the siege of Tournai. He was, and um, and he he had had experience with this. Yeah. Okay. His father had been the standard bearer for Henry VII at the Battle of Bosworth. Hmm. That was how Charles Brandon. His father died, being generally standard bears died during a, a battle. Mm -hmm. um, and his 
fought and Henry VII had promised his father that he would look out for him. So then Charles Brandon was raised in the household and that's how he met Henry. And they and got were to like be such kids good friends. together and stuff. Charles Brandon was older than Henry by about 10 years, mm. but um, Henry apparently always looked up to him, saw him as, you know, he was about 10 years older. So Henry always kind of saw him as this like super cool guy yeah. and, and looked up to him and stuff. But um, yeah, so his father fought at Bosworth and died and, and Charles would have been raised with that same kind of ideas of, military service yeah yeah that's interesting and then the standard bearer would he have like a sign that basically said the king's here and he had the flag and he had all of like he was the one holding the the king's flag and he was right next to the king so So everyone basically aimed for him exactly yep good stuff yep i bet he didn't have the the best armor either all right anyways um okay so sir ralph Elliker. Sir yeah. Ralph Elliker was he. He was um, a, a, a rebellion type who, I guess, signed an agreement. Yeah. Is that, is that so accurate? I had to. Or, I had like, to look who yeah. he was. He is a person, and when you look him up, there's actually nothing really that talks about the pilgrimage of grace. Like on, that he was involved in that. Really. Yeah, but he was. He lived in Yorkshire, um, and that's he was a. I think. Maybe they're taking him to be this kind of amalgamation of there were a number of people, including Catherine Parr's husband, Catherine Parr, who would later become Henry's sixth wife. Um, There were a number of people who were these landowners who were caught up in the rebellion because the rebels came to their house basically and said, we're going to kill your family unless you let us Ah, use your house as like a staging point. So there were a number of these land landowners and and gentry and even high up people lords who were supposed to be up there protecting the north because the relationship with the north was always kind of dicey because borders would change with scotland and how loyal was the north and all this kind of stuff so the relationship was always kind of iffy and so henry had like his most trusted people usually there were these families like the percy's and the neville's that that was also in the wars of the roses blah 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 i'm getting sidetracked they were supposed to be up there protecting the north and they got caught up in the pilgrimage of grace. And they, would, they said afterwards, look, it wasn't our fault. The rebels came and threatened us. And so we had to go along with it. Yeah. And Henry's big job was trying to figure out like. <laughs> who actually was against him and who just got caught up. Yeah, or... exactly. And so a lot of these people like Catherine Parr's husband said like they were believed kind of, but then mm. they were watched really carefully yeah. and stuff. Um, and, and so I think maybe Elliker's this, the way they brought him in is to be an example of sort of used him as, what as that a is. placeholder. For that. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right. And then while they were reading like his agreement, you know, they said, and, you know, by the decree of King Henry, King of England and King of France, what? Like, what's, what's the King of France bit about? Yeah, so he had an official title that had all of that, but the, that goes back to the Hundred Years' War when, and that's Henry, they never gave up their claim to that. Um, Henry the Fourth, I believe, is, no, Henry the Fifth is the one who, before, at the end of the, after the Battle of Agincourt, was all the way was the heir and was expected to be the king of France, but then like Joan of Arc, and this is where like I don't know the whole history of this, yeah. um, but I know that then the French were able to fight back, and then you have England gets all caught up in the Wars of the Roses in part because Henry the Sixth lost a bunch of land, like gave up, had to forfeit all this, and by the time you get to Henry, 
there's still this claim like yeah it's look, still like that should be my country right but and and, and i'm gonna let you have it for right now kind of and it's also <laughs> weird because well no because he always like that was why he wanted to go to france like even later on like that was why he wanted to go to France. Even later on in his, um, in we'll see in the Tudors, right at the end of his life, he d- took another trip to France and tried to conquer. He always had this dream of being another Henry V and kind of conquering France and getting mm-hmm. that title back. But it was also the relationship between England and France was so weird going all the way back to 1066 because the French had conquered the Normans and Normandy was different than France at this point. So just as there's, there were different kind of countries in England earlier mm-hmm. and alfred the great and you know then after it kind of combined into england france had normandy and anjou and aquitaine and all of these places that were like their own sort of countries mm-hmm. and in theory they were supposed to have bow to the king of france they were vassals but who knows so anyway you know the french invade england and then they have like the, the families then get so mixed up yeah. so probably everybody had a claim to everybody's throne at that point yeah um, after 500 years of all of this intermarrying and these families combining. And so Henry always kept that title. Okay. Yeah. Next, they, they showed a scene of like everyone, you know, them sort of rounding up yeah. people up there. Did they just like kill kind no. of? No. Like who they saw or? No. Okay. I don't know why they did. I mean, so it was really harsh, the, the penalties and the retributions. Mm-hmm. and But really only about 200 people were hung were killed oh okay jeez i mean the way it made it seem it's like they just slaughtered right the entire so there were the north. so i looked this up just to be sure because i thought it looked kind of harsh yeah. and they it was harsh the way they treated people and you know they did punish people quite nice. a lot yeah and yeah it was hard to be a person up there then um and there was a lot of suspicion and it lasted for a long time but there were over 40,000 rebels officially mm-hmm. in the army and probably even more, but that's the official number, 40,000, and only 216 actual ex- executions. Okay. So, you know, it wasn't like just pick people up off the street they and They didn't just them. round up a whole town and kill men, women, and children. No. Okay. No. All right. Then we have the priest going in to talk to Robert Ask, and the question I had was... He like pulled out, you know, he's like, how, you know, how do, I don't know if I can trust you. And then the mm. guy pulled out the red cross and yeah. like kissed it. And that was the symbol of the rebels. And it, it, um, it was a flag that had the hands and the feet and it symbolized the wounds of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so that's the, what it was. And, and those people would have been like loyal to Catholicism. To Robert like, Ask and yeah, to the rebellion. Loyal and, to the Pope. Yeah, stuff. to the Pope. Exactly. I guess that's what, okay. And like you told, like. A good, uh, whatever, someone on the king's side would not pull out. No. Okay. That was like the flag of the rebels. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> had to ask for, so ask had to like plead forgiveness for his family as well. Well, so this was always the hard thing about um, execution speeches uh-huh. because everybody had to talk about how great the king was and how they were so deserving of death and how they were so sorry and the king's justice was wonderful because if you know they, they could have only dreamed to be executed by in such, such a, a wonderful, wonderful king. yes and like Anne Boleyn's speech talked about how the king had been so good to her and such a loving lord and such a loving prince and blah 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 
And you had to do that because if you didn't, the king was going to hurt your family. And this is what we see with Reginald Pohl. That's so wrong. I mean, like, like, Reginald Pohl didn't give an execution speech, but he was doing all this and then his family. Like, at least you can, you know, curse out the dude who's killing you as you're being killed. But Mm. no, you can't even do that. Nope, you can't even do that. Next, we have Sir Francis uh, speaking with King... Is that his name? Yeah. Okay, Sir Francis Bryan. He had a nickname called the Vicar of Hell. Wow, good. Because that's he, a good one. Because he was licentious. That's what they called him because he had quite an active love life. Mm-hmm. Funny. And what also a, what because... What a nickname. I mean, that's a... Yeah. And also because he was, um, played a pretty active role in Anne Boleyn's downfall and he was Anne Boleyn's cousin, so he, like, just, that's he, what just, they, he just didn't, didn't give... No, he didn't. He's doing his thing. Yep. All right. So he did he really go to France? Do we know if if that was like a thing where he went? I don't know all of the specific movements. Okay. But the quest to get Reginald Pole was a huge part of the late 1530s. I see. They wanted him. So many many things were were are are likely in this search for Reginald. And Francis Bryan was a spy. He had a history of being a diplomat and a spy. And so also that part of his life is kind of shady because he was a spy. spy. Yeah, but you don't have Um, accurate documentation. Yeah. So he would have gone on on trips like this and you know he he was friends with Henry and he would have been part of these kinds of actions. He was also friends with Cromwell at this point. And that was actually, when you read the Wolf Hall series, um, the, the inability to get Reginald Pohl was one of the main things that Henry was mad at Cromwell for because Cromwell was never able to catch him. There were times mm-hmm. when they were so close. They were like within hours of being able mm-hmm. to get him. And they never, and you know, he was just free to roam about Europe taking, taking comfort and catholic monarchs whose interest was to have england not be doing well you know Mm -hmm. it was in their it was in france's interest for him to keep publishing these things and so yeah they they chased him all over europe and they never were able to get him um and yeah so there was a big hunt for reginald cole yeah and then in the in their talk Mm -hmm. with the king and, and francis uh he said, you know, and, and find Pole and bring him to Calais. Like, yeah. What, that was the piece of land in France that England still owned. Oh, so that it's like Gibraltar exactly. is now in, in Quetta. Yeah. Okay. I think Quetta is owned by Spain, but yeah. No, that's what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, But yeah. it's like a little enclave mm-hmm. of Spain sticking exactly. out of the Morocco. And it was the last little piece of France at one point under Henry V. Uh, after Agincourt, mm-hmm. you know, you see the map and England owned like all of France. Damn. And after Henry VI and England's civil wars and the Wars of the Roses and stuff, it was down to just this little port of Calais. Yeah. Um, and then Mary Tudor lost that herself. Way to go, Mary. I know. She said on her deathbed that after they took out her heart, they would find Calais on it because Ugh. she felt so terrible about having lost it. Um. But anyway, that was that was that. So that's why I wanted him sent to Calais. Okay. Then they were talking about Crom. Oh, and then I guess it was Jane talking about Cromwell, like being the richest man yeah. in England. Like, was that? He was, was that making a like, lot of money. Yeah. He was making a lot. And to be fair, I mean, this kind of thing was expected from mm-hmm. royal. Fa- I mean, it was even like it, it augmented their salary. 
Mm-hmm. And it also, people thought that if you let people take tips like that, kind of like even now with tips of waitresses and stuff, that mm-hmm. they'll give better service, mm-hmm. that they'll be more loyal to the crown and they'll do better and they'll have, you know, that their, mm. their work will be better if they know they're getting a cut of everything, yeah. like a commission. Yeah, right? makes sense. Um, but it was one of the reasons why Cromwell had such a big downfall. I think there was a lot of like class issues because he was, you know, not noble. And suddenly he was pretty much one of the richest people yeah, in England. England. And if you also had a certain amount of loyalty to the monasteries and to the places that he was pulling down, it's like, look at this man getting so rich off, yep. of, off of monks. And he saw it as actually generating more wealth for the crown, you know, because the crown would take these lands that were owned by monasteries. Mm -hmm. The church was the largest landholder in England before the Reformation and like had more land than the king. And it was all just consolidated under the Catholic church. Like the Pope owned most of England, you know, before. And so Cromwell takes this land and gives it to the king and says, look, you can sell it off to people. And so he sold it off to, you know, big families. And then he would take a cut of it. And so, or he would take a bribe, like, let's say that the Duke of Norfolk wants to buy this particular land. Okay, well, Cromwell, can I buy it? Here's like a little kickback for you. And so Cromwell saw it as like generating a lot of money for the crown and Henry was really happy with it. But his enemies were like, look at how he's getting rich off of this. how bad it is. Yeah. What was his title? He had a number of titles. He had a lot of titles. But the one that I think they were talking about there was the Lord Privy Seal. Okay. And he had the seal, like the yep. the important seal for all the documents and stuff. And do we know if the consulate met with with Francis? Yeah, they would have done all of that. I mean, there, like I said, there was a big manhunt to get him. Everybody, everybody okay. was meeting everybody, trying yeah. to trying to play this game to to get him. And do we know anything about the letter that the King again? Of France... There were lots of letters I going see. back so and it, forth. There was. It was is... like, please send me poll. Oh, I just had him. Oh no, talk yeah. to this guy. Maybe next Tuesday. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um. And yeah, they never found poll. Okay. And then next, we're talking about. Mary and Don Luis. Yeah. So Don, I mean, there were, again, Mary had a lot of different betrothals throughout her life. Suggested and, and, and it, it's, again, part of my soft spot for Mary because she never actually got married. And I said this last time. Um, and this was at a period where she was, again, being recognized by her mm-hmm. father. And so they would have had more marriage proposals at that point. So yeah. there, there were some proposals coming in but then pretty soon you know she'd be declared a bastard again or you know whatever she'd go for after edward was born then she's down the line one more and you know it was always hard to have mary's status be stable long enough to actually have get to be a marriage yeah yeah all right and then uh chapuis and mary had like a conversation yeah. And not that we would know that that conversation happened or whatever, but but would they speak sometimes? Yeah, like... they were really, really close to each other. Oh, okay. I mean, because Chapuis had been close to Catherine, yeah. and so Mary kind of saw him as this surrogate kind of And I'm sure he person. kind of felt... You really know... protective of her. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were very close. All right. That's, that's nice. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And then we have the scene where the king is criticizing priests <clears throat> yeah yeah what what's was that a was that a thing do we know I yeah mean... so again in this period 1536 or 1537 um Hen so henry it was like these waves where he there wasn't any such thing as protestantism at this point there wasn't people weren't called protestants they were called evangelicals mm -hmm. and there was these rising periods where he was super into the evangelical faith and then like something would change like when he was married to Jane Seymour, who was more conservative and like her family then he had his ear. And so then he kind of back yeah. off and there was like this back and forth by 1540, he had actually published the Bible in England and in English, which William Tyndale had died for that just a couple of years earlier. And he actually used much of Tyndale's translation, which is kind of ironic. But, you know, the, the frontispiece of the great Bible shows Henry VIII giving shows god giving henry the eighth the bible and it's a beautiful frontispiece it's it's done by holbein it was this uh woodcut and then henry's giving it to both cranmer and cromwell and then they're distributing it cromwell's distributing it to all of the secular people and mm -hmm. cranmer's distributing it to all of the all of the churches mm -hmm. and they he had this rule that every church needed to have a bible in english that everybody could read that was available for everybody. And this is where you start to see the rise in literacy that I think is so interesting during this period. There's, there's this huge push for education for women and, and children of all classes so that they could read the Bible. And it's such an interesting period. Um, and I'm getting sidetracked. So, but that was in 1540, 1539, 1540, 1537, he was back in a Catholic phase. So he was angry at the rise in the evangelical beliefs. And so he was kind of given Catholics some more credence. But it's like, you did this. Dude. I, well, I know. Like... And so then Anyways, by, by 1539, uh -huh. he had published the Great Bible, 1540. But then, of course, Cromwell is on the outs and Cromwell gets killed. And then you start Spoiler to. Spoiler alert. Right. And then you start to see a rise in people like Stephen Gardner, who were more conservative. And, you know, the, then there's a, a bigger rise of the Catholic. And it wasn't until Elizabeth, it was one of the first things she did. And when we watched the movie, Elizabeth, I think you and I watched it for that, um, that podcast we did beyond the big screen. Um, and so it was one of the first things she did was gather everybody together and say, look, we're going to solve this. And we're going to have the church of England because it went Protestant under Edward, yeah. super, super Protestant. Yeah. And then super, super, super Catholic, Catholic under Mary. Mary. And then Elizabeth's there and, you know, she still loved all of the tradition, all of the music, all of the stuff like yep. that, the liturgy. But she also knew that there was, you know, even jealous. She wanted people to be able to read the Bible and she wanted the Bible in English and all this kind of stuff. So Not she said, pay all her money to the Pope. Exactly. So mm -hmm. she said, look, we've got to have this compromise. And that was the great compromise that Elizabeth did in like 1563, I believe. And um, so, yeah, that's what's so, going on. So here. Henry was <clears throat> extremely internally uh, conflicted with this. Well, you know, I think it's really interesting because there was a period in his, the last year of his reign where I think within the span of just a couple of days, he executed one side of people for being too Catholic, for being um, heretics who supported the Pope. 
And then the next day, there was a, an execution of somebody who was a heretic for being too Protestant. Being too Protestant. Like, he couldn't... He couldn't make up his he mind. Wanted, he really wanted to be Catholic, but have himself be in charge. Like, yeah. he just he wanted, just wanted to, be to be the Pope. Be yeah, he wanted to be the Pope. And exactly. the king, and because God chose him. Right. And he thought it would be a good idea for people to be able to read the Bible. Sometimes. Yeah. Other times he didn't think that. I'm, I'm, I'm with that. I'm, I'm with that part. Yeah. Well, the, the, that they can. Yeah. All right. Oh, and then I, I, this little, like, how much did he help shape the church? I mean, like, like yeah. hands-on, other than just telling people do it No, like he was that. super, and that's the thing, you know, there's this whole story that he was raised to be in the church before he, because yeah. he was the second son. Yeah. Now, a lot of historians have debunked some of that and said, no, he wasn't officially raised to be in the church. There's still this idea that he was raised. Either way, he was really into the theological arguments, and he loved having theological arguments. And when people even were put in jail for their beliefs, he would actually go and want to debate them and say, let's talk about this, because he was really, really well-versed in all this. He was yeah. really smart about like all the different quotations. And he was like really into it. Um, he was like super spiritual in that way, um, where he knew everything yep. and he, he loved talking about it and he loved thinking about it. Um, so he was really involved in wanting to shape a lot of this kind of stuff. And so I think you could say that he was involved from that perspective, but also just the lasting legacy of this whiplash. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And then the Seymours, they're talking with the King again, like they are not fans of Trump. This is just a religious thing, or well, they were early because he helped to bring Jay he helped to bring Anne down. Uh -huh. So they they were fans of him in the get go um, initially. Then they stopped being fans of him because they didn't like the religious thing and him making so much money off of the mm -hmm. monasteries and all of that. So it's more like they were now aligned with the king, and, and they like they thought that he should have owed them more, kind of, you know, because. He, they each had this idea that the other side should have owed them more. Because he's like, look, I he's made like, your sister yeah, queen. I and, let you in, so you need to help me out. And they're yeah. like, look, we're the most important people. We could bring you down. You should be good to us. And so there was this back and forth of, of, of tension. it. Yeah. Okay. And then the king, in, in that conversation, I sort of, you know, he kind of says, like, the king does, like, blame Cromwell for all of this going wrong, mm -hmm. but he can't. Like, if he blamed him publicly, then it would yeah. make the king look bad. Yeah. So he kind of couldn't, yeah. so he kind of just I, had to write it out. Henry, Henry <laughs> always had this kind of, uh, towards the end, had a, a difficult relationship with Cromwell like that. There were periods where Cromwell was super high up in favor and then not. And it, Cromwell always managed to come back. But yeah, they, they didn't like each other some of the time. Okay. Yeah. And then Lady Lyle had her daughters in court. That's what we talked about last time with the quail eggs that she sent to mm -hmm. um, try and ingratiate to have a place for a daughter. Yeah. And it's, they bring it up because it's one of the few, and they talk about the dresses they're going to need yep. and stuff like they that. They said they needed a satin and a damask dress. Exactly. And it's one of the few um, kind of direct letters that we have that show the way this kind of thing worked and also that showed what, what this kind of thing? like how you got places at court and just um, the politics of it and from the women's perspective and from mm -hmm. the queen's perspective and also like what what a woman would have needed to go to court because it, it's laid out the inventory of everything she should bring and the, there aren't really that many letters that that show this i think that's like the only one from this period that shows what you know what women needed to have to bring to court and also just how the process worked of 
of Ringer. And it's just a funny story because Jane said she would take them both and then whoever was the prettiest she would keep or something like that. And it it was just, it's just kind of um, one of the few direct pieces of evidence, of, evidence yeah. of, of what, of that. And do you have any idea the, the why satin and damask? Like is, is it just... that, that was just what they needed. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know the reasoning behind it, but that was just, it, there's this inventory of everything they're supposed to mm -hmm. have brought that was included. Cool. All right. Yeah. Um, and then my last question where I will leave you off is, uh, did Jane have a long labor? So she did have a long labor. She had a two and a half day labor. Okay. Yeah. I would classify that as long. Well, she went into even longer. She went into labor on the 9th of October on the afternoon of the 9th. And then her son was born at 2 a.m. on the 12th. So, yeah, like two and a half days. Um, and the thing about, I know you're going to start to cry. But <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I was just going to, I was just going to leave. Oh, God. So, so okay. everyone doesn't have to hear me cry. So the thing about the, that was different. So Alison Weir actually did some new research in her book, um, the historical fiction series she's doing on the Six Wives. And I interviewed her about Jane Seymour and her new theories about Jane's death. The fact was that Jane was up writing letters about the birth, signing the birth announcements. There was no sign that she was unwell until the 16th. So there were four days in there where she was actually doing really well and nobody had said anything that, that she wasn't well. But then she started, they, they start talking about um, a natural lax. That's where the word laxative comes from. So Jane had a lot going on there with her stomach. And there's actually this theory now that she didn't die of childbed fever, that she died of something going on with her stomach. Um, and it was probably related because her body wasn't 100% well enough to, to handle, to recover, because she was tired from the labor and she was exhausted. And, you know, you need to heal from that. Um, and she couldn't fend it off. But so the idea is that she she didn't actually die of childbed fever, but it was more like dysentery or something related to her stomach. Um, so that is the idea. And if you want to learn more about that, I interviewed Allison Weir um, on my show. So you can just look for whatever episode. It was a couple of years ago, 2018, I think. Um, you can look for that episode on my podcast um where allison weir talks about her theory of jane's what she died of and yeah that's that story all right i'm done all right thank you for listening are you are you all right yeah okay so um thank you people for listening <laughs> thank you okay <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad you're alive all right thank you me too um and we'll be back again with uh nobody else I don't think dies in childbirth so okay. alright um, and yeah TudorCon if you are interested in coming to that and yeah thanks for listening yeah, we'll thank be you back guys. We'll, we'll see you or hear you next time happy 2021 okay alright bye, bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.